I had wanted to get up and give a very rousing, man, 2022 going to be the best year ever type message. But, obviously, the events of this past week have proven that that's not necessarily true for everyone. Uh, I was heartbroken to hear of the news of Chris Decker. I definitely consider Chris a friend, and Chris had this enthusiasm for Jesus He had enthusiasm for church. He was learning. He was new in his faith in many ways. And that that gave him a passion that was contagious. And in a world where we're worried about contagious things, I wanted Chris Decker's contagion to infect us all. So I don't want to get up and pretend like everything's just fine, but I do want to lean into the gospel message today that God has for us that speaks both in the good times and in the times when we've had difficult weeks and seasons and years. And I also want to share a vision that we've been praying about for the future. Over the past year, in fact more than a year, The elders and the staff have been meeting, we've been praying, we've been studying, we've been seeking discernment from God. And as that evolved, we saw certain themes begin to emerge. And we hit one point where we felt like we had circled around the the vision and what God had called us to, you know, multiple times. We just hadn't nailed some of it down yet, and so I asked for permission, I said, would you just give me your blessing to go and try to put all of this into, into an organized thought process. And they said, please do that. So I met with the staff and the elders, and we worked on it. A couple of weeks later, we merged with five objectives that I'm going to share with you today. But before we get to that, we're going to introduce them today. And then over the next several weeks, we're going to begin a season of praying for these and specifically unpacking each one. So each one's going to get it Sunday. Um, But today I'm going to give you an overview and a framework of a posture that I think that God is calling us into if we're going to see this vision. And there's some big audacious goals and challenges that come with this vision. But there's a posture and there's a perspective. Maybe that's the best way to look at a mindset that we're going to need to have and I believe is going to come from God as we see God do these things among us and through us. So that's where I want to launch into this day. And then each week we'll pick one apart. And then following that, I promise many of you have asked, we will be back into our 1 Corinthians study. I'm not avoiding that, but this needed to come at this time and then we'll be back into that. But if you have your Bibles today, I want you to open your app or your Bible to 2 Corinthians. It's the verse that you just heard read. It's the verse that we opened with on the video. I'm going to expand it out just a little bit. But I want to talk to you about the power of new today. It's a new year. And I love the fact that our, that our calendars reflect something of theology to us. Christmas, the celebration of Christ coming into the world. And then a week later, our calendars turn a page, and we get this new year. Now, I realize that that may be more mental than anything else. But for many of us, it does say there's a new beginning here. And the theological truth is that when Jesus comes into the world, new things come into being. 
So our calendars remind us of that. And so as we approach the new year, in many ways, it is a fresh start. It's a clean slate. So have you made your New Year's revolutions? That's a bold word, isn't it? Resolutions. Have you made your New Year's resolutions yet? There's something about this time of year that we commit, and I've got there's some things that I want to commit to. We want to be in shape. We want to be healthier. We want to be kinder. We want to be more organized. We want to be more frugal with our money. We want to be more successful in our job. We want to be more tied into our family. We want to read more. We want to walk more. Um, I don't know if anybody set a resolution of, I'm going to binge more Netflix, you know, in 2022. But there's things that we see that we want because we believe the new year brings with it a chance to be new and, and what's the other word? Improved, right? That was always a brand deal you'd see on the packaging, new and improved. You wondered how can those things be at the same time? Because it's new, it's not improved. If it's improved, it's not new. So, But new and improved is what we want. And there's something that's so attractive to that. And what I want to share with you today is that there is power in the new and that you can be not just new and improved, but you can be new. Because if you don't hear me say anything else today, if you fall asleep, tune out, walk out, change off the live stream, whatever, here's what I want you to understand is at the heart of the gospel is the reality that God can make all things new again. That is the gospel message. That is the result of Jesus stepping into the world, his life that he lived on this planet among us, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection are a statement. They are a bold, revolutionary statement that God can make all things new again. And I want you to hear, and I'm going to try to use some scripture in a moment to convince you that there is nothing in your life that cannot be redeemed when God gets a hold of it. And you may be in a long season of struggle and doubt. You you may be in a long season of frustration. You may be in a long season of feeling like nothing has gone my way. You may be in a season of grief today. But I would remind you once again, the gospel message is that God can make all things new. And that's what God does. That's what he's doing in Jesus. But before you take my word for it, let me use the words of one that followed Jesus. And in his own life, all things were made new. You may know him more familiar as the Apostle Paul. Paul is a guy, and if you're you're not familiar with Paul... And maybe you're not familiar with his story yet, and you walk in or you've signed on to the live stream, and you've got some doubts about church and doubts about Christianity, and you kind of step back and look at people that, that have this faith with a real skeptical point of view. Paul's your guy, okay? Because Paul started out just where you are. In fact, even more so. Whatever doubts you've got, whatever frustrations you've got, Paul had him ten times as much, guaranteed. Paul was so adamant against the faith 
against believing and following in this person that he knew as Jesus, that he actually signed on to be part of the active movement against the faith. And he would use the power of the law, the power of the courts, persecution, intimidation, and even execution to squelch what he thought was anathema, what he thought was a heresy, what he thought would be better off, the world would be better off if this belief system was eradicated. Until one day, he has a face-to-face encounter with the very person that he's trying to persecute. He comes face-to-face with Jesus. And this would be oppressor. This would be torturer. This would be prosecutor. God makes things new in his life again. And it radically reorients his world. And so what he does from that point on is his life really goes from one direction to the opposite direction. And he begins the purpose and the mission of proclaiming the very name that he was trying to silence. And so he goes around for him the known world at the time. And he keeps preaching and planting churches. Preaching and planting churches. Now, the churches were not necessarily like you and I think of a church. This would have been an extremely large church. I mean, a mega church in his day. But it's about 20, 30, 40 people gathering in these cities, holding up the name of Jesus. And he would then move on to the next place, and he would write letters back. And that's what most of our New Testament is, is these letters that Paul wrote back. to these churches. And so in the, the letter that we know is 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, he's going to reinforce this idea of all things new. That there is a new beginning in Jesus. That there's a new start. And there's some perspective. This is the posture and the perspective that I want us to pick up. And so I want you to hear it again. I don't think you can hear this too many times today, so hear it again. I realize that I've brought up my English Standard Version, so that's going to be reading out. You're going to see NIV on the, on the screen. Starting in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. 
Because it talks about this power of new and this power of what God can do when he gets a hold. I've talked about this perspective we need to have. Paul starts out with the very first thing that I think we need to capture. And so verse 16, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. So he's talking about we need a new set of eyes. We need a new vision. If we're going to lean into this vision that God's calling us for, the first thing we've got to put on is a new set of eyes because it is so easy in our world today to look at the world and make our evaluation on everything that we know from the past, everything that we know from history, all the assumptions that we carry. And so as we look around at different folks, it's so easy to say, I know what they're like. They're not going to amount to much. Have you ever felt judged? You you ever felt that moment where somebody was responding to you or reacting to you in a way that you knew they were already trying to put you back into a box or into a category or under a certain label that you didn't want? We do that so easily. And so what Paul is telling us is, In Christ, we're given a new set of eyes to see the world, to see others. And with the new set of eyes, we don't see them based on the labels that we or somebody else have handed to them. We see them through the eyes that God has given us, His eyes, and He looks at them, every single one, as a potential child of His. We have a set of eyes now. That every person you encounter, the people that you like and you're impressed with, and the people that drive you up the wall, the people that get under your skin, the ones that annoy you, the ones that are irritants to you, the ones that you can't figure out why in the world they think that way, vote that way, spend their money that way, the ones you disagree with. Paul says, we have a set of eyes now where we see each one as someone that even though I, Scott, in my assessment, in my judgment, even though I think it's so right, I look at it and say, that's someone that Jesus felt it was worth it to die for. All things made new and we get a new set of of eyes. Paul goes on, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new is here. Now, this set of eyes, it doesn't just work on everybody out there. Your set of eyes is also a new way to understand who you are in Christ Jesus. So many of us, we forget that we're a new creation in Christ. We're a new in creation. This is where the whole new and improved gets a little confusing. Because you're not just a slightly improved version of your old self. Do you see the language that Paul uses here? He says, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. You're not 
a tweaked version of who you were. You're not a slightly adjusted version of who you were. The old you, when you went into the waters of baptism, submitting your life to Jesus Christ, the old you died. That is the language that is consistent all through the New Testament. A death occurred and a new creation, a new birth, a new life came up out of the waters. So many of us are so tempted that we want to live as the old life, right? We want to drag the old grave clothes with us. We kind of cling to it sometimes. And sometimes we even want to use an excuse, right? Well, that's just my old self. That's just how I am. I'm just wired that way. No, the you that was wired that way died. That's what happened. It's gone. You're a new you. And some of us, we hold on to it because it's an old habit and it brings us security. Some of us hang on to it because we feel so shameful and guilty of it that we don't really trust the power that Jesus can do something about it. And so we keep dragging that old identity with us. I know we're slightly past Christmas, but everybody has Christmas lights up still, so I can use a Christmas illustration. The Charles Dickens story of a Christmas carol with Ebenezer Scrooge. You know, the very first ghost that shows up to him is his partner, Jacob Marley. Long since deceased. But if you read it or if you've seen any of the accounts of it, that is one scary scene. Because Jacob shows up and he has these heavy iron chains weighting him down and he's dragging them and he's clanking and he's encumbered by their movement and Ebenezer cries out what are these and he says these are the chains that I fashioned in my life and Ebenezer is just horrified Scrooge is horrified by it and Jacob Marley tells him that the chains that you forged are much longer much heavier and much more weighted down And so many of us have that kind of mentality still when it comes to our life. That yes, we've come to Jesus in baptism and we've given him our lives, yet we still think it's our job to drag the chains around with us because I guess we just deserve it. Christ has set you free. He did not come to improve your old self. He did not come to polish your old self up just a little bit. He did not just dress your old self up a little bit. He killed your old self. And now you're a new creation. We've got to see it in others. We've got to see it in ourselves. He goes on. Verse 18. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. All of this is from God. So everything that we do is from Him. There, this is nothing here that I stand up here to brag about. The, the Christian call is not that we get to say, look what I've done for God. The Christian call is always and forever. Look what God has done in me. Look what He's done in us. And look what He's done through Christ for us. God gets all the verbs here. God's doing all the work. Christ is making all the sacrifice. 
And then he gives us this ministry of reconciliation. Why would he give us the ministry of reconciliation? Okay, first of all, reconciliation. Reconciliation is bringing two things back into a right relationship again. You are reconciling them. You are making them in alignment once more. You're bringing all the junk that was between you out of the way. And so now we're bringing this ministry of reconciliation back together, and Christ hands it to us and says, you now have this ministry of reconciliation. Why does he give it to us? Because we should be the ones that know what it's like to receive the gift. Have you ever received a gift that you just couldn't help and go tell somebody else about? You, you received something that was just so generous or so perfectly selected for you, or went well beyond whatever you were expecting, and you just went out and you told it again. And it was in such a way that it actually motivated you to want to go do something for somebody else. That's the ministry of reconciliation. We're the ones that have received it, and so we're the ones that have now been entrusted with this. Not a dead-end gift. In other words, the giving just doesn't stop with me And I now get to go enjoy the gift in the safety and the comfort of my own salvation. But we've been given this gift to pass on. He goes on to say this, verse 19. That God who has reconciled the world through himself in Christ, not counting the people's sins against them, he has committed to us this message. You see, there's this handing it off to us. So, Whatever you think about church, and whatever you think about Western Hills, one thing is true. We've been given a message and a ministry. We've been given a task to do. And it's time to perform that task. It's time to live up to that task. He finishes this way. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Christ's ambassadors. Now, if you highlight, if you circle in your text, if you write in your Bible, and I hope you do, it's the word ambassadors that I want you to remember. That is how Paul describes all followers of Jesus. Not some. Not a certain group. Not a group that has a special kind of gifts. Not only those that stand up front and put a microphone on. But he describes all Christians as ambassadors. And what he's saying is, you are a representative for Jesus himself. You understand the role of ambassador, right? An ambassador speaks on behalf, acts on behalf, and is the representation of whatever power or authority they come from. They represent. The United States of America has ambassadors all over the world. In their embassies, wherever the embassy is, regardless of whatever's right outside the gate, whatever's inside that property is sovereign land of the United States of America. And the ambassador then speaks on behalf of the United States of America. Whatever administration is in power, they represent that to others. So one thing we've got to understand as ambassadors is that we're always on representing Jesus to the world, representing Jesus to our neighbor, representing Jesus to the person that's in line in front of us and behind us 
as we check out at a store. Representing Jesus to everybody that you're going to come in contact with today. We're always ambassadors. But the other thing that's so easy for us to forget because we get comfortable is that ambassadors always exist in foreign fields, not at home. This is not our home. We should not get so comfortable here that we fall into the mistake of saying, well, we're all just kind of one big family, so therefore I don't have to represent. I don't have this ministry of reconciliation. That's this new posture that I'm talking about. That we see that God has placed us here at this time, in this place, at this moment, for a reason. Will we reflect home? Which home for us is not whatever state you were born in. But the kingdom of heaven. And will this place where we exist, will we make it an enclave, a part of the kingdom of God where Jesus is sovereign here despite what the world says? That's the invite. All things new. We're therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He finishes out this way. God made him who had no sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's the gospel message. The one that had no sin stepped in your place, stepped in my place. And the judgment that should have fallen on you and should have fallen on me, and the harshness that should have fallen on you and fallen on me, he took. In this place, he gives us a new self. Death to the old into the new. And then he invites us into this ministry and this message. So as the elders have been praying, and we've been looking at this vision, we're praying a particular kind of prayer, and we're going to start today, and we're going to be asking you to be praying along with us. And when I share these five, and you've heard them before, but it's okay if you haven't memorized them yet. But as you hear these, I want you to remember, these are what we're praying for God to do among us, and through us. Because remember, it's God the one that's doing all the actions. We're making ourselves available for His use. And so we're praying for among us and through us. This is what I'm going to talk about the next five weeks. But here they are, and I'm going to give you in brief. The first one's this we want everyone to lead someone to Christ. Everyone to lead someone. If we're all going to participate in the ministry of reconciliation, there is someone that I want you to be praying about right now. I want you to be praying that God would reveal himself, that that person to you. You may already have the name on your mind as the slide went up. But part of the Christian story that we seem to have lost is that Christians reproduce Christians. Followers of Jesus can't help but talk about it, and other people are caught up in that contagious nature. And so we're praying that everyone leads someone to Christ and see what God can do as we share 
this ministry of reconciliation with the world. For some of us, we'll talk more about it, for some of us, it means we're going to have to open our mouths. And there may be a conversation, an opportunity that you don't even know is going to come your way yet. But when it does, we're going to be praying that there's a moment you go, this is it. This is the moment. This is what God's doing. And there's a faithful response. If we do that, we're also praying that among us and through us, God would create a harvest of baptisms. A harvest of people that say, Jesus is Lord, and they submit their life to him, and they are immersed in the waters of baptism, being cleansed of their sin and full of the Holy Spirit. And we're not going to be apologetic about it. But we are praying for God to do that. That we would be witnesses to that, and we get to participate in that. We're, we're praying that over the next five years, that God would make this more and more and more and more just the norm. We're praying for an Acts 2 kind of moment. Where they saw people coming in daily that. So we're asking God. This is not because we've got a cool strategy. This is not because we're so smart at it. But we're asking God among us and through us if he would deliver a harvest of baptisms. And we're praying that in five years we're seeing on average one a week. That's what we're asking for. We're going to trust that God's going to lead us someplace to that. Next one's this. We're praying that God would create us to to become a very diverse church. Right now, we do not represent the population demographic of Temple. We think that's a problem. Because the gospel message is not for people that have one socioeconomic level and vote one way. Revelation tells us that all tribes, all nations, all tongues will ultimately bow down and give glory to God and praise the name of Jesus. So as ambassadors, we want to reflect that now. So we're just praying that God would keep opening us up. And this means we're going to have to do things differently. It, it, it means we may do some things that we're uncomfortable at. We may learn some new ways. We, we may have to, to shift things around. We don't know. We're, we're, again, we don't have it all laid out, but we are praying that God would do that among us so that we would reflect the multitude that is the kingdom of heaven. And in our world as it is divided today, I can't think of a better symbol, a better witness to the world that the gospel does bring down walls and it makes even long-seated animosity new again and can replace what is, what is bitter with love. Next one's this. We feel that we've been put in a certain place and a certain time. And so we're praying about going the extra mile around our campus. So here's the fun way we say that. We looked at one mile around our campus and we drew a circle. And then we remember that God calls to go the extra mile. And so we did a two miles out from our campus. And now we're praying that God would help us to spiritually own and feel responsible for what's in that two miles. 
And that's already opened our eyes as leadership into certain organizations and groups and other churches that we're going to be reaching out and, and partnering with to some communities that we're going to be reaching out to and, and trying to invade with this, this message. Uh, as we've already started this, it's, it's been so crazy just to see as we've been praying, God, open up some opportunities for us. O- open up some possibilities. Um, so at no effort of my own, other than having prayed that prayer that God would open up some opportunities, I was reached out and contacted by our now been on the job about a year, um, a little more than a year, chief of police, Sean Reynolds. And Sean Reynolds is trying to restart the chaplaincy program. And they're seeking out faithful men and women that would be willing to be, to be chaplains. So we've already had an opportunity to meet with the, the chief of police and hear his dreams. And he's got a great vision for that. But we didn't seek that out. God just opened that, uh, opened that door. Many of you are very aware of Hope Pregnancy Center. They fall within that two miles. At no effort of my own, I was contacted by them, invited to come, give a devotional, gave a devotional, learned more. I was already familiar with them, but I got to learn even more. I learned that one of the greatest needs that they have, and this is a little surprising because we know that they work, Hope Pregnancy Center works with women that are in pregnancies, that they're scared and they feel alone and sometimes they feel abandoned. I know that they had a great need for godly men also to walk alongside some of these fathers, the children, that are staying at least in this relationship or connected, and they're just as scared. And they're trying to figure it out. So we're already talking about praying ways. And then I've had many of you already come up to me and say, hey, one of the places that I want to jump in, I want to be part of is with the Hope Pregnancy Center. And you're already sharing your passion. So this is something I fully believe God is laying on our hearts. We've already had an opportunity as a staff to go over and host the, all the teachers and custodians and administration and everybody on the campus of Western Hills Elementary School. We provided a lunch, uh, a lunch for them and shared, shared that with them. These are the kind of things we see that are going to be coming up again and again. We want to go and focus on the two miles around our campus. Not because that's the only place we're ever going to serve. But we feel if anybody's going to spiritually own that, if we're going to be accountable for that, we're going to start right there. And the last one is this, and it's probably the biggest and the most audacious one. But if Christians reproduce Christians, churches should reproduce churches. And we've got some vital churches and missions going all around the world, but we believe that God's calling us that somewhere in this next five years to partner with, not be the only ones that pull this off, but partner with a church plant somewhere in North America where you can go visit on a family vacation, where you can go and our youth group can go and be ministers. And we're praying for there. And somewhere that there's going to be a new church and a group of people worshiping that are lifting up the name of Jesus that does not exist today as we carry the ministry of reconciliation in our lives, locally here at this time, around our country, and around the world. I want to close with an illustration I shared before, but it's one of my favorite and I couldn't resist. I'm a World War II history buff, and I love aviation from that time. So I love this story where... Germany's kind of last-ditch effort. They, 
they conducted an air operation against England where they were going to try to wipe out any air power that England had or the, the allies had in the area. And so they threw 900 planes at the effort. 200 of their own planes th- didn't come home. But they did considerable damage to all planes that were on the ground for the Allied forces. One of the pilots that was shot down, his name was Stephen Cole. And he was a young German pilot and still believed in everything that the Fuhrer had been pumping their way and believed he was brash and he was bold. So Major Bob Brookings from the Allied Forces brings him in to interview him. And they bring him into his office, and he is just smug at what they've done. And out through the window of his office, they can see the destroyed planes. And Stephen Cole points at that and says, what do you think of that? We did that to you. Major Brookings was so frustrated that he orders him out of his office. Four days go by. Four days. He brings him back in, and he's still got the same cocky attitude. Major Brookings intentionally had his blinds closed at the beginning and reaches up and pulls the curtain back and opens the blinds, and on the runway where just destroyed planes is set four days before, 27 new P47 Thunderbolts set, brand new from the factory. Shiny new. Major Brookings asked the same question, what do you think of that? It's reported that Stephen Cole put his head in his hands and said, that will defeat us. Because Germany no longer had power to produce. That's the power of new. The enemy cannot stand against new. The heart of the gospel is that all things are made new. Do you see the connection? That's what God's calling us to be. He has made us new. He's given us new eyes and a new mission. And this ministry of reconciliation is now ours. The question is, will we be faithful with it? Will we believe in the power of new that we can't keep it contained anymore? So this is what we're praying about. And this is where we feel led by God. And we're going to begin that process right now. So I'm going to ask David Kelly, one of our shepherds, to come up. And he's going to pray a blessing over this. And so if you would, would you stand with me, please? We're going to stand. David's going to pray for us. And this is going to be our, our call today. If you would, as he prays, would you receive this? If you're willing to receive this prayer that he's praying over us as your prayer and your conviction that God's calling us to experience new and to live out new. And then following that, we're going to sing and worship together. David? You know, before we pray, Scott said, and, and it, it, it amazed us, but we're not surprised by it, by how God was already at work way ahead of us as we were making plans and we're seeing the community reach into this church 
and want to be a part and want to see this church active. So it makes it easy to come up here and talk to you about this. And not only that is because what we continually see from all of y'all is that you give and that you love and that you're gifted. So we're not afraid at all because we know what God's capable of and we know what you're capable of too. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we stand amazed at what you've done for us already and we are eager to see what is ahead. As Scott said, we don't have all the uh, details worked out, but we've already seen what you're doing. Help us to listen closely to what you call us to do. Help us to have courage to act. And Father, you've given gifts to all of us. Some we're, we're aware of, but there's going to be some that we never knew that we had. We ask that we'll listen closely to the Holy Spirit as he calls us into service, that we'll be directed in that way, that we'll set the time aside to do that, the resources necessary. Father, thank you for what you've already done, for what you're getting ready to do. We thank you for this church family and what it means. It's in your son's most holy name that we pray. Amen.